0: the black bibles there while you guys are doing that I'll like set you up real quick I don't normally do this as you probably know uh, my name's Thomas I'm a covenant member here at SOMA Kent asked me a couple weeks ago if I would preach and I said sure why not let's do it uh, so here I am uh, yeah this is exciting it's good to be back doing this. Uh, we were part of a church plant like four years ago, and I did it pretty regularly, so uh, it's good. It's good to get back in the habit of doing this kind of thing. So where was I going with that? So I, I am. Uh I am. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to read it really quick here, and then we'll uh, dig into it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Yeah, so... If you guys have been around, we have kind of been jumping back and forth between spiritual disciplines and Exodus, and we've been in Exodus for a while, and this week it's Memorial Day weekend, so we can kind of just do whatever we want. So that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to preach out of Hebrews, and it's not part of any series or anything like that. Um, It's probably good. I love to just take a couple verses and and expand them and pull them apart. You You know, like those balls that can collapse and expand and collapse and expand. We had one in my house for like three days and it broke i have two little kids um that's just the way things go uh but i love to to do that with with scripture to just kind of pull it apart and look at it and dig down and go deep into it uh at at just the way i roll so that's what i'm gonna do um so to set you guys up with what's going on in hebrews here really quick the book was written probably sometime in the first century after jesus has ascended it's been going on for a while We don't know who wrote the book, right? Most of the other epistles, letters, are all from Paul or Peter or John, and they explicitly say who they're from. This one starts out. We don't know who wrote it. There are theories. We're not going to go into that because it doesn't really help us out in understanding this, but, you know, it's kind of nice that we don't know who wrote it. We also don't know who it's written to. So here we have a letter just kind of towards the end of the Bible that's blank, in the sense of, there's no specific audience. There's no specific author, which is kind of nice because then we can kind of pull it out and see it for it, itself. Uh, there's a context, obviously, but um, there's a little less that we're running up against when we think, "Oh, this is Paul, and this is why Paul says this, and he does this." And if you look at this other letter and all that other stuff, right? Like we sometimes we like to overanalyze Paul and what Paul does and what, right? This is just we get to take this out and do it. Uh, but we do know a few things when we look at this letter, if you read through it, the author knows who he's writing to. It's probably a smaller group. It's not like a church in a, an area or a city or a region. It's a small group of people, people he's identified with, he's been uh, intimate with in the sense of he's like had a deep relationship with them. Um, you know, he says that they are aspiring teachers uh, and he probably himself was a teacher. So he was close with these people. And he uses the Old a lot. He he brings up a lot of Old Testament illustration to demonstrate how the new covenant is better than the old one, right? So there would have been a tendency for them to maybe want to start to get back in some of their Hebrew roots and some of their Hebrew ways and practice some of their Jewish customs because that was okay in the Roman Empire and Christianity really kind of wasn't, and it was persecuted and it was uh you know run up against. But uh, you know, he's he's he goes back and he goes, okay, like yeah, we had all this stuff, but now we have the new covenant, and it's better. You know, he says, uh, the pro- he compares Jesus to the prophets. Jesus is better than the prophets. He's better than Moses. He's better than the tabernacle. He's better than Melchizedek, which is a guy that shows up three times in the Bible and is really, like, but it's weird that he shows up in Hebrews the last time. We don't even have time to go into that, but uh, I love thinking about and preaching about that guy. Uh, he's better than the Sabbath, right? Time and again, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, Jesus is better. Through Jesus, the covenant's fulfilled, and, and the, the world is redeemed. So we don't have to go back. We don't have to keep doing the things that, they, that we used to keep doing, right? And then we come to this verse, these couple verses here. And it starts out, he says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Uh, so let's unpack that really quick. It's weird, to me anyway, that he would use the word cloud. That's not exactly the word I would first choose when I talk about a group of people. And a lot of times you would go cloud, crowd. It sounds close enough that you would easily kind of start to confuse them. But he uses cloud. And when you look at the word and you understand what it means, it's beautiful because it's like not a cloud in the sky. That he's talking about, oh, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. That one looks like a rabbit. That one looks like a dragon. That one looks like George Washington. Uh, it's, it's like this mist, this fog, this very palpable and dense surrounding mist, vapor, cloud. That kind of obscures everything else around. So he says you're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. It's close. You can feel it. Got some density to it. So, who are these witnesses? Uh, let's go back to Hebrews chapter eleven, really quick. I'm just going to run through this really quick. Uh, if you've been in the church at all in your life, like this has been the hall of faith or heroes or whatever, you've probably heard and like people have pointed to these people and, and said, "Look at these awesome heroes of the faith." Uh, you know, he, he goes through and he talks like we have witnesses, like abel and enoch and noah and abraham and um you know we have uh abraham and isaac and jacob and esau and joseph and we have rahab and we have gideon and the prophets and the judges and the kings and the um you know all of these people and then in verse 35 well one point to make really quick when you look through this list says over and over again by faith they followed god by faith they put their hope in the promise by faith but the list is a bunch of people who were like they failed a ton right Like you have drunks and liars and murderers and prostitutes and cowards and just people who like if we would have run with them in their day we would been like really he made it that guy made the list gideon really And then in verse 35, there's this like hard turn, right? He goes uh, in 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, made strong out of the weak, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead, right? Like we we get excited about this part of, of having a great cloud of witnesses and we get excited about this part of of having faith in God, right? Because like, like we can do anything. We got, yeah, let's go, let's go. We like, we can sh- shut the mouths of lions. We can stop fire. We can. And then he like takes a hard left turn. Some were tortured. Okay. I don't know if I really want to get on board of the torture train. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Killed with a sword. They went about in skin and sheep goat, uh, the skins of sheep and goats. They were poor, they were homeless, they were afflicted, they were hungry. Right? This is the crowd, the cloud of witnesses that the writer is setting up. All of these people have gone before. They put their hope in the faith, they put their faith and hope in the promises of God. And in verse 38, he says, the world wasn't, worthy of them right like these people walked in faith as messed up as they were and the world wasn't worthy for them and in verse 39 and 40 all these commended through their faith did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect right so they put their hope and their faith in a promise that they never saw they died They went to the ground, they were buried, they're still there. If we could find their bones, they would be there. They put their hope in something that by all accounts would say was foolishness because they never saw it. They never saw it actualized. They never saw it realized. They never saw Jesus come. For so long, they waited and they hoped and they waited and they hoped and then they died over and over and over and over again. They didn't get to see it. Like, I think about Anna and Simeon. If you look in uh, Luke chapter 2, these were kind of the end of a line of prophets and prophetesses. They're waiting out in the temple, and uh, Simeon sees Jesus come into the temple with his mom and dad to be circumcised and presented at the temple. And in Luke 2.29, he goes, Lord, now I can die because I have seen your salvation but centuries of people, hundreds of thousands and thousands of people never saw it so that we could, right? Like he's putting it into context here, going, look, guys, these people, they hoped in God. They never saw the promise so that you could, because if they saw the promise,